morning. Today's scripture reading, we will be in the book of Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, if you have the black pew Bible in front of you, you can go to page 57 and follow along. I'm going to be reading this entire chapter, so I'll go ahead and get started. Exodus chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, you say that, Malai and Mushai. These are the clans of Levites according to their generations. Amram took his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zachri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Minadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abisaph. And these are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. 
These are the heads of the fathers, houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Exodus chapter 6. Appreciate Jamie reading our text. You did well, brother. You did a great job reading those, all those names. I sent him a text and, and, and I asked him to read chapter 6, but I never heard back from him. I, I, was, I was expecting him to be like, what? But uh, you did great, brother. You'll get all the genealogies from now on. Sometimes you know, I debate whether how much text we should read because there's a balance in everything. We only have so much time, right? We have to be out before 12 or people go crazy here at Beaver. That's why we start at 10.30 instead of uh, 11. I make sure we have time. But it's something about you got to be out at 12 here. Um, but I, I would just struggle with how much text do we read and sometimes it's too much. But I was like, man, you know, I, I really want to get in the habit of reading a lot of Bible during worship, and I know there is a balance there, but uh, I'm thankful for Jamie reading that for us. Exodus chapter 6, if you're visiting with us, you haven't been here in a few weeks, we got people in and out of town, we have several families that will be coming back in town today, tomorrow, so they'll be with us next week, but uh, just to kind of catch you up where we are, we're just walking through Exodus, walking through the book, and so if you're just coming here, don't worry, I'm fixing to give you kind of a synopsis and catch you up as far as context goes, but God has chosen Moses to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt. Moses has, at this point, he's already gone back to Egypt where he tells the Israelites that God has indeed sent him to deliver them. And they not only not reject Moses, Moses, remember, he was so hesitant because he didn't think the Israelites were going to embrace him. They're not going to listen to me. I'm a Hebrew, but I grew up in Pharaoh's house. The last time I was there to try to help them, they didn't want my help. They're not going to listen to me. But God reassured them, gave them signs. Remember the, the, the staff that became a snake, his hand that was leprous and, and then became healthy. And so the Israelites had embraced him as their deliverer. And Moses had obeyed the Lord and went to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh to let God's people go. But Pharaoh, he did... Well, he did exactly what the Lord said he would do. God told him that Pharaoh won't listen because I'm going to harden his heart. And Pharaoh didn't allow the Israelites to leave. In fact, he made it harder on them. They were slaves, and they made bricks, and they built buildings. And Pharaoh had a quota every day. They had to make so many bricks for their building projects. And Pharaoh got to thinking, well, you've got a lot of time to complain. You want to go here and there and you want to take a break from your work. Well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure you have no time to, to, to lollygag and think about what you uh, are missing out on. I'm going to give you more work. And so what he did is he withheld straw from them. But they had the same quota. So instead of them having a quota and them giving, providing straw for them to make the bricks. And if you remember, straw is like rebar and concrete. It makes it strong. It keeps it from breaking. 
but he withheld that from him, said, you're gonna, we're going to keep the same quota. You're going to make the same number of bricks, but I'm not going to give you straw. You're going to have to gather it yourself. So let's read chapter 5, verse 20 through 23 here, just by way of context. After having this conversation where Pharaoh told the Israelite elders that they're going to gather their own straw, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So Moses here is once again dejected, and he comes to the Lord with, Why? Why, Lord? Why are things not going better? Why did you let this happen? Why are you not delivering the people now? And what we're going to have in chapter 6 James, in, in the first five verses, God's going to answer the why questions. He's going to respond, and he's speaking to Moses. He's going to answer him, and then he's going to tell Moses in, the, in verses 6 through 8, this is what I want you to tell the Israelites again. And then in verse 9, we're going to see the Israelite response to God's message through Moses. But as we walk through this dialogue, Jamie's already read for us, I'm going to point out a couple things, three things today. The first thing is that I just want us to notice the timing of God, the timing of God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God affirms that he's going to rescue his people. God's already told Moses from the very beginning in chapter 3 of the burning bush, I'm going to deliver the people. But I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let, let my people go. I'm going to deliver the people. So here God affirms that he will indeed rescue his people and deliver them from Pharaoh. But the question Moses and the Hebrews have is, when? But when are you going to do this? Why is it taking so long? And now, look, now of our, my people miserable. They've been crying out to the Lord. Now their work is even more laborious, more burdensome. Think about the people of God have been in captivity for 400 years. But that was a predetermined amount of time. If you remember Genesis chapter 15 verses 13 through 16. Let's read that together. This is a prophetic text God gave to Abraham centuries before. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. That's Egypt, right? And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they, they serve, and afterward they shall come out with a great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. He's speaking to Abraham. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, here being the land of promise, the promised land, the land of Canaan. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, this is an interesting text. This 400 years, like I said, is, is a predetermined amount of time. This is prophetic. Centuries before, Lord determined they're going to be in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. And what is the reason? The reason is because God is being patient with this people called the Amorites. Now, who were the Amorites? They were a tribe that lived in the land of Canaan. 
Sometimes we, we, we think of Canaanites. When I, when I say Canaanites, what do you think of? Like me, you think about the godless people that must be driven out of the promised land. But the Amorites are a tribe. And when God has had enough of their wickedness, he's going to unleash his judgment on them. And what's, what is the judgment of the Amorites? How is he going to judge them? By releasing and rescuing the Hebrews from Egypt, directing them, leading them to the promised land. The Hebrews are going to enter the promised land. They're going to whip tail and take names and drive out the Amorites. That's how they're going to be judged. And it's interesting, this is, the Amorites are one tribe living there, but I think in this case, I think the Amorites are representing all those who live in Canaan, all the wicked idolaters that live in the promised land. Like much, much like we think of the Canaanites. When I say Canaanites, you think of, oh, that's the wicked people that live in Canaan. I think the Amorites represent all of those people here in this text. But for 400 years, the Israelites are in bondage. Why does God wait so long before he delivers them? Why is he so patient with this wicked group of people that are living in Canaan, the Amorites? And those are legitimate good questions, but I think questions we can only answer with, we only answer it by saying God has a divine plan. That's another way of saying God knows what he's doing. God's not flying by the seat of his divine pants. He has a plan in mind, a divine plan, but he also has a divine now, as some people call it. Let's think about this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. We see this in the New Testament. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When was Christ born? In the fullness of time. In other words, exactly when he was supposed to be born. In God's perfect timing. Think about also Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember the, the curse? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And because of their sin, there was a, a curse. Do you remember the curse? God told the serpent, you're going to be cursed. One of the curses is you're going to crawl on your belly, eat dust all the days. The next curse is that the seed of the woman, you're going to strike the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. That was right after the fall. That was in the garden before the Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, right? The serpent crusher, when was he born? Well, he was born there in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. In the fullness of time, right? Perfect timing. We see the wisdom of the timing of, of think about Jesus. He's on, he's ministered for three years. He's about 33 years of age. He is He's got his face set towards Jerusalem and his disciples, no matter what his disciples or anyone tries to do, he's, he's headed to Jerusalem. And, and there's, we see the wisdom of the timing of Lazarus's resurrection. Do you remember Jesus? He went to Bethany. His sisters had sent for him and he waited several days, made sure Lazarus was dead and he goes to 
Lazarus' home and he calls Lazarus up from the grave. And what happens? Do you remember what happens? That's all just part of the story. Perfect timing. Because what, what did that what did that resurrection of Lazarus, what did that cause? That caused such a stir. And so a few days later, what happens? Jesus enters Jerusalem. Again, we see the wisdom of God's timing on Palm Sunday. He goes into Jerusalem to the accolades of the people. And what are all those people doing? They're, they're singing to him. Why? Well, because of what they've seen him do in raising Lazarus from the dead. We see the wisdom of God's timing as Jesus is crucified on Good Friday. We see the wisdom of God's timing as Jesus is resurrected when? On Easter Sunday. God has a divine plan for all things that we can't fully see. He has a divine now that we can't fully comprehend. In the Exodus, we're about to study. may seem like a long time in coming, but looking back, we can see God's perfect timing. But I think just as we can trust God with the Exodus, with the Incarnation, we can trust God also with our future wedding date or the timing of our future child's conception or the timing of the promotion or the timing of the teaching position at church or fill in the blank, right? Yeah, God has a divine plan. He has a divine now and his... He's working that plan out. He's always on time. He's never late. What is it that you're struggling with right now? What are you, what are you waiting on and trusting and begging him? Lord, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done this? Why is I waiting so long? The Lord doesn't make mistakes in regard to timing, but we can't see what he's doing, can we? We see the timing of God, and we also see the name of God. Look at verse 2. God speaks to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And he repeats what he, what he said in chapter 3 at the burning bush. It's really the same thing. Verse 3, he appeared to the patriarchs as who? As God Almighty, which in Hebrew is El Shaddai. The patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they saw the might of the Lord. They knew him as God Almighty, but God says that he didn't make himself known to them by the name Jehovah, Yahweh. Now, that's interesting. Think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We read in Genesis, there's several scriptures that teach us that they knew this divine name. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's, that's Yahweh. If you look in your Bible, it'll be in your translation. It should be all capital letters, L-O-R-D. Genesis 12, 8. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent and Bethel on the west of Ai on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord 
If you have a pew Bible, it'll be L-O-R-D, all caps. That's Yahweh. So when it says that God didn't make himself known to them by the name Yahweh, it's not that they didn't know the, the name, they didn't know it's his, that name's significance, I believe. Let's continue on. Verse 4, God tells Moses that he remembers the promise, the covenant he made to Abraham. What was that promise? That he would bless them, right? That you would become a great, Abraham, you'll become a great nation, and I'm going to bring you into this land, this promised land. God hasn't forgotten his promise. He's a promise keeper. Verse 5, God heard their groanings or complainings, and when they cried out to the Lord, he heard. Of course he hears, right? But what he's saying is he's acting on their behalf to rescue them. And then we get to verse 6 through 8, and this is where God tells Moses to deliver this message to the Israelites. Hey, tell the Israelites this. I'm going to rescue them. And if you look at verse 2, you look at verse 6, you look at verse 7, you look at verse 8, God uses his divine name, this Lord in all caps. The patriarchs, they knew the name. They just didn't understand its significance. They knew him as a promise maker, but what you're going to see is Moses and Aaron and the, the Israelites who are going to be delivered by his mighty hand, they're going to see and know him by this divine name and understand it. He is their savior, their redeemer. He is the promise keeper. These Hebrews, they've suffered and they've cried out to the Lord. And, and as the Lord delivers them, what are they going to do? They're going to experience him in a, in a, in a way that the patriarchs never did. And we experience that to some degree. I mean, think about many of us, we grew up in church. Our parents taught us about the Lord. I know I was here every time the doors were open. I knew a lot about the Bible, a lot about God. If you ask me who God was, I could tell you he's creator. He, he knows all things. He's all powerful. He's almighty. God can do anything. No one can thwart his plan. If you ask me who Jesus was, I would, I would, have, told, I would have told you he's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the Savior for, of sinners. But it wasn't until November 25th of 1990 that I was given a new heart. And the Spirit of Christ sealed me and began to dwell within me that I could really honestly say, He is my Savior. See, I'd experienced that. The patriarchs received the promises but didn't get to see them fulfilled. But the Hebrews, Moses and Aaron, they're about to see these promises being fulfilled and they'll understand more clearly God's name, Yahweh. Look at verse 9. We see this response. What's the response now that the Israelites, they've been told, hey, this is what God's going to do. He's going to rescue you. And notice the response of the Hebrews. God's saying, I will, I will, I will. And the answer from the Hebrews is, we won't, right? They don't want to listen. They couldn't hear the promises of God because of their suffering, because of their pain. They couldn't see through their despair, I was kind of thinking about that, and I, I liking it. And I, I played football in school, and I was always really little. And we were, were playing as a sophomore. You never got to play. 
uh, unless you had JV games. And we drove to Olive Branch, Mississippi. And to me, driving on the bus, I thought, this is a really a, a long way to drive for a football game. And I remember playing that game, and there's, they had one really big kid. I'm like, why is that kid playing JV? You know, he has no, he needs to be playing varsity. And we were on a, it was a, a punt return, and this big, huge kid hit me, but I didn't see him coming. He kind of blindsided me. He had his, he put his helmet right there and just knocked me for a, a loop, you know. And I hit the ground and I jumped up, and I it was kind of panic mode because I, I, he had knocked the breath out of me. And I just hit the ground and I, I just ran to the sideline. But when I got to the sideline, I just collapsed on all fours. And my buddy who was watching me, he saw the play. Of course, he's kind of trying to help me, but he's kind of laughing too. And he says, uh, he's trying to tell me all these things to do, but I'm just on my all fours. And he's telling me all these things. Oh, man, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. But I couldn't hear him because my focus, my attention, every ounce of my energy and every focus of my mind is, is focused on trying to get my lungs to take in some air and kind of find out how to bruise sternum. But this guy just flattened my lungs. It just knocked me for a loop. But he's like, well, you wouldn't listen to me. I was trying to tell you what to do. And I'm like, shut up. I couldn't think. I couldn't do anything. I was just trying to get, I was trying to live, you know. And I think that's what's going on in, in verse 9 with the, the Israelites. They're in such despair, they just can't even hear the truth of what God was going to do, of the promises, because of their despair and their suffering. And outlook was so bleak. But you see the timing of God, and it's perfect. You see the name of God. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He's all-powerful. He's never changing. He's the promise-keeping, redeeming God that the Israelites are about to know. And third thing from this text, we see the sovereign choice of God. We saw that he was saying this last song is so wonderful and perfect for this. We see the sovereign choice of God. Verse 10 through 13. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But think about it. What, Mo, what just happened to Moses? There's like, they won't listen to him again, right? He's dejected. So Moses said, Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? My own people won't listen. How is it that I'm going to go and Pharaoh's going to listen? I've already went to Pharaoh once and he didn't listen. And he says, for I am of uncircumcised lips. In other words, man, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not eloquent. I don't have any power in my words. Verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Again, Moses is hesitant. He doesn't speak well. And at this point, he says, I can't even talk. People are not going to listen to me. At this point, there's a break in the story. And we've already read it. This is genealogy. Like, what in the world? It's like out of place. Why is this here? This genealogy is telling us who, it seems like it's telling us maybe uh, the genealogy of the 12 tribes of Egypt. I mean, 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Israel, Jacob. He has 12 sons, and he seems like he's going through that. And the first son, he says, is Reuben, and he's, he's mentioned some of his kids, and then Simeon. And he didn't mention every child. It kind of hops, skips, and jumps. And then verse 16, then there's Levi. And then at Levi, you think, okay, he's fixing to run through all these. And at Levi, he stops. And all of a sudden, he's given this specific genealogy of, of Levi down through Moses and Aaron and past them for a few generations. And look, the key here to understanding this genealogy right in the middle of this narrative story, look at verse 26. He mentions the genealogy. 
Levi. You see Amram, Jochebed, Moses is born. Then it says, verse 23, Aaron. It talks about him all the way down to Phineas. But look at verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. It's like, well, how many Aaron's and how many Moses were there? What's going on here in the story? Like I said, we're having this story. It's a narrative. It's kind of fun to read. It's a story. You know, you read your kids. And also you get the genealogy. And what do we always do? We skip it because we're just, you know, it's kind of skim through it. What's up with the genealogy? What he's doing here is he's telling us who this Aaron and Moses were and why they need to listen to him. But we have to remember This wasn't written, this genealogy, this, wasn't, this message wasn't given to the Israelites right then. Keep in mind, all of these events are taking place. Right? Years later, before they enter the promised land, what's going to happen? Moses, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just like Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses is inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes these things down and delivers this message to the people. You remember what the, the Pentateuch, the the purpose of the first five books of the Old Testament are? Do you remember? It's to remind the people who God is. They've been in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, surrounded by idolaters. What, what God is trying to do is remind them who he was and how they became his special elect people. And then more specifically, the book of Exodus, the purpose of that book is allow the Israelites to know how they were redeemed so they could dwell with God again. But this was written later. And so as the story's being written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have this genealogy, right, in, in this narrative. So they, why is it here? What's the purpose? And it's really, it's kind of difficult. And I'm talking to a buddy of mine. He said, yeah, we... we he, he talks all the time. You know, we just teach through books of the Bible, teach the books of the Bible. And so I, I called him and I said, hey, how did you handle this genealogy when you talked to the book of Exodus? He goes, oh, I didn't teach that part. I was like, yeah, right, thanks, buddy. I thought you were walking through the book. He said, no, we didn't skip that. But what is the purpose of this genealogy? It's to, for us to see the sovereign choice of God in choosing Moses and Aaron to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And I was thinking about Genealogies, and it made me think about this plaque that was on my grandparents' wall. And they had a big table. There was seven kids in the family, 19 grandkids. After church on Sunday, a lot of the, the, the cousins came. And then afterwards, we'd go with my grandparents and eat lunch every Sunday. It was just a tradition in my entire life. And they had a big table for the adults. And they had one room that had, had like a, I don't know what you call it. It wasn't a picnic table, per se, but it was a really long table with benches down the side. That's where, that was a kid's room. The kids had to eat in there, right? But then they had this little bar that was that butted up against the wall, and that's where that's where they ate lunch and dinner when it was just my grandparents, right? And I would eat a couple days a week when I was youth pastor. I would eat over there with them, and on on that bar butted up against the wall, and on the wall there was this plaque, and a lot of you had it, Miss Susan. You probably had one of these too, but it was a it was a plaque, a wooden plaque 
that had painted on it like the genealogy, like your family tree. And do you remember it had apples and it would say something about the apple of my eye. Did anybody else have one of those? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've been trying all week to find one of those and I couldn't find one. But, and I even called, I even called Kay and I was like, what happened when my, my grandfather passed away? What happened with that thing? She's like, man, I have no idea because I wanted to use it this morning. But it would have apples on it and then it would have the leaves coming off the apples. And, and that's what it would have the, the kids' names and then the leaves you would have the grandkids, you know, or their kids and their grandkids. And I, I don't want to see that because um, a lot of people don't understand this whole genealogy thing, but it was really, really important for the Israelites. And they would have these, their genealogy memorized all the way back to the patriarch. They would just have it memorized. And, and maybe now it's not as important, but I know growing up, I would tell somebody my name. Yeah, my name's Shane Hartsfield. They'll say, oh, you belong to Maurice, Ricky Dale, or Mike? And I'd say, Mike, no, that's my dad, right? And maybe some of you have done that. You're maybe a, a job interview or applying for a job or uh, who, who's your, who do you belong to? Who's your family? Who's your dad? You ever get that? Yeah, I think probably most of you have. You're older, my age or older, you, you get that. Now, not so much because now nobody knows anybody, right? You go to Kroger, you don't know anybody there. But used to, it was like you knew pretty much everybody. Who do you belong to? What's your family name and who you belong to? Who's your dad? Who's your granddad? Da, 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 da. The Israelites are reminded why they should listen to Aaron and Moses because who are Aaron and Moses? They are Levites. And who are the Levites? Well, a few chapters later, we're going to see the importance of the Levites. When they get to Mount Sinai and they receive the law, God's going to establish something special with the Levites. They're going to be the priest. In Aaron's line, it's going to be even more special because the high priest are going to come from Aaron. That's why they should listen to these guys. And that's why these guys were chosen to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. And like this, like our family tree, I don't know, if, I think most of us are like this. You have, you have black sheep in the family and you have heroes, right? Yeah, I was, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to Morgan recently. I said, Hey, I saw your cousin so-and-so, where I saw his cousin, and, and I was telling about him. He's like looking at me like, who are you talking about? And I was like, your cousin. And he didn't know who he was. I was like, oh, they're, they must be the black sheep of the family. You, not, you don't know those, those cousins down the line, but we all have them, don't we? I mean, I've been in Dollar General several times where my kids are like, who is that? I'm like, no, just don't worry about it. Get in the truck. Let's go. <laughs> Moses and... Oh, like you don't have those people in your family. Come on. Look at this genealogy. Just a couple of things I want to point out about the genealogy. And there's more we could say about it, but um, I've said more than my buddy did. He just skipped it, right? Um, look at verse 15. It's interesting. Doing these genealogies. Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. What's wrong? What's, what's interesting about that? 
These are Israelites. They're not supposed to intermarry. That's forbidden, right? Somebody took a Canaanite, a pagan wife. And then verse 21, there's a cousin of Moses, the sons of Izar. You see Korah. What comes to mind when you hear Korah? Nothing good. Do you remember? Uh, it's Numbers uh, 16, I believe, where he rebels against Moses. He says, why are, we, why are we all listening to Moses? What's so special about him? We all can approach God. Why is it just Moses? And then what happens? You remember the judgment of God on this prideful, arrogant, worthless person? The ground opens up and swallows him up, right? Yeah, he's judged by the Lord, which tells us he was in the wrong. Yeah, so you have these black sheep. But then you have heroes, too. Look at verse 25. You have Phineas. And, uh, we have the text up for you, I think, in Numbers chapter 25. Who's Phineas here? This was the grandson of Aaron, and he was a pretty sharp, awesome fella. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. This is the Israelites. They're supposed to be separate, right? But all of a sudden, they're getting really close with the Midianites. And one of them brought a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of Midian. They're worshiping, right? When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation. He took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. Now, he just wasn't a cruel person wanting to kill somebody. Now, what's he doing? They're worshiping, and all of a sudden you have a man here. He's coming, and he's having relations with a Midianite uh, pagan idolater, and he puts him to death. So that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I will give him my covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood. Because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Phineas, he's the hero in the family, right? Yeah, you have black sheep and you have heroes. And Phineas is celebrated, not just here, but in the book of Joshua and Judges and Psalms. He's a great leader, one who had passion and zeal for the Lord. Somebody the family could be proud of, right? But we see that all types of people are included in this genealogy. Because Aaron and Moses, they're just normal people. But they've been chosen to do an extraordinary thing for the Lord. And the Lord's empowering them to do that, is to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. But as we see this genealogy, you know what, it, what else it tells us? God has been planning this. He had this in mind for generations, right? You're like, well, of course. He, he knows it all from the beginning. We see this generations. He's, he's got this plan in mind where he's going to redeem his special elect people from Egypt. So he is sovereign, planning this rescue for, for generations. So what do we do with this text? We look at, at chapter 6 here, and you had this this interruption of the story with this genealogy and right before it and right after and there's bookends. It's really interesting how you have verses 28 through 30 repeats exactly what we see in, in verses 10 through 13. 
Let me read that for us. It's the same in, in both sections. It's just bookends of this genealogy. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. We see that time and time again, right? I'm Yahweh. I'm the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? My own people want him to listen now. How is it that Pharaoh is going to listen? And God says, Tell him I'm the Lord. And I will deliver my people from the hand of Pharaoh. So what do we do with this text? A couple things before we leave. I think firstly, we remember and trust in God's perfect timing. He's always on time. Again, what are you, what are you struggling with right now and trusting the Lord with, with what's going on in your life? Maybe it's a, you're single and want to be married and wondering if you're going to be and when and, and wanting to have babies and when's that going to happen, Lord? And, Maybe you want a promotion, you want a job change, you want to you know, sell your house, you want this to happen and that to happen. We can trust the Lord because he is sovereign over all things, working all these things out. And, and you know what makes the, the, the 400 years of, of labor and suffering, you know what that did? That was the backdrop for this merciful, gracious rescue. And it made that rescue all the more sweet, didn't it? All the more sweet for the people of Israel. So they could say, yeah, now after the, yeah, we, we know and we've experienced Yahweh, the Lord. So maybe for you, you're struggling with whatever it is. It's hard for you to trust the Lord and his timing with this. But no, the Lord has a purpose. He has a divine plan and he has a divine now. And what's the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, what, why are they written? For our encouragement, right? For our encouragement so we can be encouraged. Yeah, we can trust the Lord in this. We can trust the Lord that he has a divine plan, he has a divine now. Second thing, what name do you know the Lord by? I said earlier, grew up in church, and if you would ask me who the Lord was, I could have told you many things. The Lord's creator, he's, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Do you know the Lord as Savior, Redeemer, We know the Lord as creator. We know him as judge. Do you know him as savior? And as we read this story, we're, it's, it's, it's going to get really good here soon, the next few weeks. We start seeing God pour out his judgment upon the unbelieving Egyptians. And what's his goal in that? We read it here in verse 7. I'll take you to be my people and I'll be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And he says that about the Egyptians. Why am I doing all this? Why am I pouring out these judgments upon the people? So they'll know, so Pharaoh will know that I am the Lord. See, he's, he's judge and he judges sinners. We're all sinners. If you're, this, if you're this tall 
or this tall. You're a sinner. And you know what? Unless you repent, unless you turn from your sin and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own, you'll know the Lord primarily as judge. But he wants you to know him as Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer. Have you repented and trusted Christ, work on the cross as your own? Can you say, yeah, the Lord is my Savior? If you stood before the Lord and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Would you say, because I do this and that and I don't do what other people do? I hope not. I hope you'd say, I'll be in glory because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And only because of Christ's sacrifice can I approach a holy, righteous God. If you don't know him as by the name Savior, I would encourage you to repent and trust him today. Love to talk to you about that. If you have a question, there's a lot of people here who would love to talk to you about that as well. Lastly, by way of application, in the fullness of time, you and me, we were born and we live right here in Tipton County, Tennessee. And you are a whatever. I'm a pastor. You're a oh, whatever you are. God has providentially brought you to this place in life. He has a purpose for your life. Just like he had a purpose for Moses and Aaron we might not lead a nation out of bondage, but he has a purpose for you and for me. We have black sheep and heroes in our family tree, but God wants to use us. Are you willing to be used by the Lord? Are you submitting yourself to him and yielded obedience, ready to obey and do your part? in spreading God's name and fame in our county, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you are good and we're thankful for your word. And you give it to us and it instructs us and helps us and empowers us. And we recognize that we are wayward and so prone to wander from your will and we're so thankful that you have for many of us here, you've called us out of darkness. You have redeemed us, and we can say you are our Savior and you are our Lord. And we have experienced your saving grace. But, Father, for those that are here that have yet to cry out to you in repentance and faith, we pray for your Holy Spirit to do its work, that you would draw sinners to yourself, whether they be wee ones, little children, or adults even some of our senior adults, Father, if there's any here that's yet to trust you, if there's any that are watching the service from home that have yet to trust you, I pray that you would bring about conviction and break hearts and, Lord, allow them to see your goodness and see their sin. Father, may they know you as Savior today as they repent and trust Christ. Father, you want to use us. Lord, we're like Moses, and we sometimes we, we don't trust you. We think we're inept and we're not usable. But, Father, you want to use us to be 
good examples. You want us to use us to be your mouthpieces to share the good news of Jesus with those in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. I pray that you would help us, empower us to do that. Father, for those who are here that they know you and they know you as Savior, there's some that are struggling just to trust you and where they are in life and they're wondering why you haven't moved in their life and they keep asking you to, to help them whether it's in their marriage or maybe they're struggling with infertility, maybe they're struggling with singleness, maybe they're struggling with the situation there in life at work, and they keep asking for you to help them, to give them a way out and to make things different. And they're weary and they struggle to trust you. I pray that you would increase their faith and, Lord, they would know that even in their suffering you have a purpose. Somehow it's making us more like you and somehow you're, you're being, going to be glorified through it. We ask you would help us to trust you. Father, for many of us, we do trust you. We ask you would help our unbelief. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.